I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Felicia Temple is a musical artist and registered nurse. She's a soul-rooted contemporary R&B artist, singer, songwriter, pianist, and producer who specializes in mature romantic ballads. Felicia comes from a musical family. She's the daughter of Diamond Temple, who has been touring with the legendary hip-hop band The Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight, as a vocalist and keyboardist for decades. Felicia competed on The Voice during season 12 in 2017. Her blind audition covered All I Could Do Was Cry, won over coach Alicia Keys. In June of 2017, Felicia self-released The Balancing Act, a six-track EP that was written and recorded while she was undergoing treatment for carcinoid cancer and working as a registered nurse. Although it wasn't until February of 2019 that Felicia followed up with The Bedroom Chronicles, another EP, the singer had continued to work as a headlining performer and backing vocalist, most notably for Deborah Cox. In March of 2020, Felicia was performing across Europe when the pandemic forced her to return to the U.S., and she immediately re-entered the nursing field to work in the intensive care unit. She since returned to music and debuted top of the iTunes R&B charts. So please welcome to the show, Felicia Temple. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Um, you know, I've been following you on Instagram for years. I know you're a busy woman, you know, d- doing great work, giving back, being a nurse, singing, all these amazing things. So I appreciate your time and I do not take it for granted. Oh, well, I'm honored to be invited. So thank you for having me. 
<laughs> I'm excited to have this conversation because I always feel like anyone that I followed on social for a long time, obviously, you know, social media gives you people's highlight reel or a little glimpse into their life where you feel like, okay, you kind of know the person. And then we have the conversation on the podcast and I get to know you on a deeper level. I'm like, Oh, I actually love you as a human being. Like <laughs> you get to know people like way deeper than, you know, just the socials. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I've got an interesting story. So <laughs> I'm ready to jump right in. So before we get to how you got to where you are presently, I'd love to start at the very beginning. I love to get to know who you were as a little girl, because I feel like before society started to uh, limit our beliefs or maybe unintentionally our caregivers or our guardians limited us with their limited beliefs. You know, we had these huge fantasies of what we wanted to be or who we wanted to be. So I would love to know. Felicia, what did you want to be or who did you want to be as a little girl? And what were you like as a teenager? From my very, very first memories, all I ever wanted to do was sing. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember being about six and I had memories before that, but I remember clearly my mom asking me at six, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And I remember standing in my room door and I said, I want to sing. And if mm -hmm. I can't sing, I'd rather die. And she wow. said, don't you say that. <laughs> now, my father's a musician. So she goes, oh, my God, not you too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I remember being very, very young and always singing. The, the conversation was, can you please stop singing? Can you please not sing right now? Can you please not sing at the dining table? Can you please not sing in the car? We just need a little bit of quiet. I sang everywhere. It is all I've ever wanted to do. And that same yearning follows me now. It's mm. just as present as it was that six-year-old who got asked that question. And as a teenager, it was the same thing. I think uh, – there was a lot of greenness behind it. Obviously, the times have changed and the technology has changed and the access has changed now. I feel like if I was in high school, I probably could make myself, you know, this overnight <laughs> sensation. We didn't have access to those kind of things, you know, when I was yeah. like in high school, when I was a teenager. Um, but I had thought, you know, I'm going to get signed to a record label by the time I'm 18 and I'm not going to go to college. And I, everybody knew me as the singer. Mm -hmm. So me going to nursing school was a shocker for everyone. Like high school graduation, <laughs> people are like, you're not going to a music school. You're not going to at least be like a music teacher. You're not going to Broadway. You're going to nursing school. Uh, that threw everybody off. But it's always been music, music, music the entire way through. Wow. I love seeing the connection between what someone wants to be versus who they become, especially when it's still connected. Like I said before, sometimes society or culture or environment shifts us from that vision we were given as children. So I love to see when someone is still on that path, um, connected to their passion, their purpose. So, okay, what led you to get into nursing? Well, that's uh, kind of, that's an interesting question. So my sister is two years older than than I am, and she was never like somebody who likes school at all. She was she would rather leave school early and she'd be at the mall. You know, my parents would be getting phone calls. She's not in class. 
but she just decided when she graduated high school, like, oh, I'm going to be a nurse. And my parents are like, that's not a good decision. Like, that's not something you just go do. And she's like, it's going to be fine. Mind you, fast forward, my sister has a master's degree and she's been like chief, chief nurse executive. She's done all these things. Um, you know, she really surprised everybody. But I was a very nerdy kid. Her and I were very much opposite. I was, you know, honor roll, dean's list, all those things. Mm -hmm. uh, so as the time was approaching for me to figure out what I wanted to do after high school, I said to myself, I really enjoy medicine. I love science. And I actually uh, was going to go to uh, medical school. I was going to go pre-med. So I only had two places uh, that I was looking. It was NYU or the college I ended up going to, Felician. And my sister said to me, come on, everybody knows you don't want to be a nurse. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't want to be a doctor. Uh, she's like, you want to sing. Uh, so she, she said to my, she said to me, well, listen, I think you should go to nursing school like me because at least you can be done fairly quickly. <laughs> and if you go, you know, if you decide to go to medical school, you're going to have to do four years of pre-med, then four years of medical school, then residency. And she's like, what if you do the four years of undergrad and you realize you hate it? Then you're stuck with a lab job. She's mm -hmm. like, at least if you go to nursing school, you can, you know, you'll have skills, you can get a job, and then you can go do whatever else, else that you want if you really want to be a doctor, but you don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> uh, so my sister kind of talked me into it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to say, it was uh, out of all the, the bad things she's talked me into, that was <laughs> the best thing she's ever talked me into. Uh, I was, I've always been very methodical in the, in the life choices that I make, knowing that I want every single one of them to turn me towards music. Mm -hmm. And at the time when I was in nursing school, a lot of people that were in the circle that I was in music-wise, executives, things like that, no one understood why I was in college at all or why I was in nursing school or why I just wouldn't drop everything to go pursue this dream because there's this belief that if you really love music, when you're in entertainment, it's if you love it, you are supposed to be this starving artist. Right. And I just did not subscribe to that <laughs> at all. Um, and I'm glad that I did what I did because I had no idea how exactly expensive <laughs> it gets to pursue this. Yeah. <laughs> it was very costly. I think any anything that we chase um, from our creative side is costly. You know, it's an investment of money, time, energy. And I think sometimes people who are not chasing their creative side, they will look at people who are, and it's almost like they don't understand the investment that these people are putting into it of the money, time, and energy. But like you said, when you love it, you know, you, you do what you need to do, and that, but doesn't mean that you need to be starving. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you need to like be scraping the bottom of the pot. But I had, I had my dad as the example for that. My father has been a touring musician for over 30 years. My dad still tours to this day with the Sugar wow. Hill Gang. He was just up on the BET Awards jumping all <laughs> over the place. And, you know, so I grew up watching them. But my dad was a police officer and yeah. he would switch days with people. I mean, he would, you know, work 
in advance days for people and they would cover for him for like a month. My dad Mm -hmm. would be in Europe overseas in the summer touring and would come back and work. And my dad taught me something super important. He said, the landlord doesn't care about your dreams. You have dreams. The landlord does not care. You could be the most talented person. You know, you could have the Grammy, the, the Grammy worthy album and it still not be heard for whatever circumstance. You could have spoke to somebody the wrong way. It just might not have gotten out the way it should. And, you know, life will will humble you. Mm -hmm. So you have to have something that keeps the lights on. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, Because it's not promised. You know, this game is not fair and nothing's promised to you, even if you are insanely talented. And I'm grateful for him tugging my coattails and letting me know, hey, listen, pursue everything you want to pursue, but make sure you have a bed to sleep on at night because I can't even I can't even name the names of people that I can say slept in my parents' house mm-hmm. that if you heard the name, you would be like, <laughs> you're supposed to have money. And I mean, mm-hmm. my dad was going home and going back to work and these people, you know, people that he would see out and about, they're like, literally going from show to show, you know, behind Mm -hmm. on credit cards, trying to live and trying to have this image. So I'm very glad Mm -hmm. that I have something (laughs) to fall back on. (laughs) There is so much in what you said there. And I I think I'm going to start from the beginning and then come back to what you said at the end. So what I love is that the lesson that your dad taught you about pursuing your passion and still having consistent income to keep the lights on but you both chose a path of service outside of your creativity. I'm, I'm all about service. So I'm excited when I see people that have a heart for service. So I love that for both of you. And then what you said about, you know, people that we may have a perception of that are supposed to quote unquote have money. And I think if there's anything I've learned in the last five years, it's to not assume that anybody has money <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I've been a full-time entrepreneur since 2009. So I know what it is to like have hard times when you have nothing. (laughs) That just deserves a round of applause because that is the dream for me. Absolutely. It's not easy. And, And doing it with three kids is even more complicated. So I know that there are people out there and I once had that perception of, you know, you see something and you assume that this is somebody's life or what they have. I was speaking to my partner maybe about six months ago and I said to him, you know, we we're just standing outside, enjoying nature, looking around, standing in front of the house. And I said to myself, you know, if someone had told me 20 years ago that someone with the, I don't want to say accolades necessarily, but like, how do I say this? Okay. So I have written five books, published five books. I have a podcast that's the top 1% or top 1.5% globally rated. I have, you know, things that other people would say are successful accolades. Now, if I was told 10, 20 years ago, what that life would look like, having attained these things, my perception would be completely different from what it is now. So I am super humble. Like I am grateful that I have a roof over my head. I am grateful that my children are healthy. I'm grateful for the small things. And to me, success isn't, you know, other people's idea of success. So when you say, you know, people 
you know, sleeping at your, your dad's house and people, you know, assuming that they should have money. We have no idea what those things look like or what sacrifices someone is making to live out their dreams or to pursue their passions. I think we've been conditioned maybe because of TV and, you know, what fame's supposed to look like. And I guess culture and society, having people chase monetary things. There are people that are super successful and giving back in such a great way, but they don't care for the monetary things. I know millionaires that like live in white t-shirts and jeans and you would never know that they, you know, they're millionaires. And there are people that I know that have nothing, but their social media (laughs) will make you believe they have everything. So, you know, I totally, totally get what you're saying there. And and I think that I wish more people would take into account when they are looking at someone's life and trying to create their own narrative of what that person's life is to take a step back and realize, you know, we create these stories for ourselves. You know, I've been following on social for how many years? I know nothing about your life other than reading your captions, right? I can't say that I know what you actually go through on a daily basis. I can't say that I know how you actually feel or, you know, anything that you've endured. So I think I wish more people would stop judging and assuming and creating these narratives of other people's lives and living on that as fact, because it's not. (laughs) Yeah, that is a hundred percent right. Yeah, I think it's a fine balance what you share on social media. And I like to, I would like someone to look at my page and feel like they like, they, they know a whole bunch about me. In reality, they know absolutely (laughs) nothing. And it's a fine balance. You know, you want, you want to get personal with people. You want people to get to know you, but it can be so invasive sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to toe the line a little bit on (laughs) that. I get it. I get it completely. And I appreciate people like yourself worth because obviously when you're building a brand, when you're establishing yourself, there are people do need to feel connected to you somewhat. And they don't have to know every detail of your life in order to feel that connection to you. I had to learn that the hard way myself. It's a hard line to keep sometimes. And I think sometimes there are people out there that may view those of us that share parts of ourselves online and because of their own inner insecurities or things that they need to work on, you know, have judgment of what we share thinking, you know, we're putting all of our business out into the world or what have you, when really that's not even a percentage of what our life is, right? <laughs> yeah. Just, just recently I had decided to finally, at least in my stories on Instagram or Facebook stories, to start sharing a little more of what my regular day actually looks like because I was meeting a lot of people on the music end that would constantly ask me, so I guess, you know, you're not nursing anymore, right? Like I see, you know, you're putting out all this music and, you know, man, those nursing days are behind you now. And I was like, I, ju- I just came from work two hours ago. I'll, I'll be back at 7 a.m. Like I'm just here tonight with these eyelashes mm-hmm. and these eyebrows. Um <laughs> You know, I I have to clock into work in the morning. Oh, and I'm on call. And it's interesting because I then started doing small clips like, oh, I just worked 12 hours. And you know what? I forgot I'm on call for my other job. Oh, and then the next story was, and guess who got called in? I got called in and I'm here 
all night long. Oh, and five hours later, I'm awake again because I have to go to my other job. And people are like, wow, I would have yeah. never known. You know, they're like, you're so consistent musically. We all assume that you weren't nursing anymore. And I want people to see, how do you think I pay for all of this? How do you think I pay for these videos? How do you think I pay for the makeup? How do you think... How do you think I pay for, you know, studio time and mixing and mastering? This stuff is expensive mm-hmm. and this is real life. I often say to people in music, people say, I would do anything. I love this. I would do anything for this. And there's an asterisk with that. People will do anything except get a job. <laughs> like if you will do anything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will work. I have four nursing jobs. I will work them and I will work them with a smile because yes, I get to give back to society and it humbles me and it makes me realize all the time I am not that important. I am not the star of the show in here. Sometimes I look at people, you know, somebody throws up on my shoe and I just look at them and I think to myself, do you know how cool I was last night when I was on stage? But they don't <laughs> know that and they don't care. They don't care. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> it's important to keep your feet on the ground, you know? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I can totally resonate with that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that you said that, you know, recently you started to share more of the day to day. I do think without oversharing that it is still important to give people a realistic perception of what is happening with people, you know, in whether it be their industry or, or what have you. Um, because, you know, there are, like I said, the people that show the highlight reels only, right. And I don't, I don't, how do I say this? I don't recommend doing the flip side where I've seen, I guess, people posting on their main feed pictures of them crying and uh, to each their own. But I, I do feel like people having a realistic perception of the, work that goes in, the persistence, the resilience, the the struggles, all of that into being who you are. Like there's balance in all things. You know, they just assume that someone's an overnight success, not realizing how many hours you put in in the studio, how many hours you put in working as a nurse. Like, and then we have this generation now where I call them the microwave generation where they just snap their fingers and expect something is going to be a certain way. No, there's work that went into this. There's, you know, an investment of many things that went into this. You don't just snap your fingers and ta-da. <laughs> like, I think, I think I, I fight, I think more with myself even than other people and the perception that I want other people to have of me. I know inside when I think of myself or people ask me who I am, I am a musician. I'm an artist. I'm a singer, songwriter. I'm not a nurse. I know that it is what I do as a job and I do love it. Um, But I fought with like, what perception do I want to give people? And I have to have a certain kind of image. I don't want people to think that music is just some hobby that I do for fun on the side. So I'm not going to show any of my nursing life at all because I want people to have this image of me as a singer. And obviously, I guess it worked, you know, when I see people (laughs) say, you know, oh, you're not nursing anymore. But especially when I would be or when I am at work, often I get, you know, people who I've worked with for many years and they don't mean anything bad by it, but people will say like, oh, you know, I really thought music was going to work out for you. I mean, you it, it, it's unbelievable what's, what 
people say to you sometimes, or especially because I did the voice in 2017, a lot of people that is the closest they've in their eyes, they've ever seen me get to quote unquote stardom Mm -hmm. and that I, you know, lost and that I just came back to work and continued working my job to them. It's like, I really thought you were going to make it. Oh, you're so talented. Oh, do you still have a band? Oh, do you still do that music thing? Because they see me at work. And so it's a, it's, I want to have a place in my life where people only see me as an artist, as a singer, as a musician. But I realized that that's just not my calling. It's just not what it is. I've realized that my mission is to heal, whether it is with my hands, whether it is with my voice, I am here to be of service to people. And I can't cherry pick what parts I'm going to give people because it's not real. And in giving people the full picture, I can't tell you how many messages I've got of people, especially nursing students, medical students. Oh my goodness. I love to dance. I love to sing. I love to draw. My parents told me, you know, I have to focus on school. I've never seen anybody able, you know, be able to do both, you know, thank you. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I, I feel good about the choice that I've made to share both of these things. Yes. And you've given other people um, an example or, you know, representation of what that looks like or what's possible. You know, sometimes someone may believe because of what they've been told or what they've previously seen that only one way is possible. So you're showing them like you can have your passion, but you also have to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I um. I can't remember what episode it was, but uh, Christina Ray, who was like, uh, I think it was America's Got Talent. She won the golden buzzer and I think she made it to like the top three. And in her story with the golden buzzer, she was sharing how, you know, she was homeless with her son, staying in family's homes. And then after the show, I had her on the podcast and we were talking maybe about a year later. And she's like, you know, situation happened. She's homeless again. And people have this assumption that because someone was on a TV show or they had a certain opportunity or experience that they are instantly rich. And that's not how life always turns out. No, not at all. So many times as artists, we we want people to believe that it's all glitter and, and glamour and it really isn't. And you feel like maybe people will will think that you're less worthy if you show them the reality that like, yeah, I have to work a job or I don't have any place to live or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. So you you try to fight that, but um, kudos to her for, for sharing her story because it's hard. You want people mm-hmm. to view you in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I I, I think, you know, everything in life is really about perception. Like I I have a few friends that are in PR and, you know, they've taught me some tricks about social media and stuff like that, but they're like, everything is perception. You're building a story and people can choose to believe what they want from the information you give them. But I, like I said before, it's, I, I appreciate people like yourself and Christina who are just real about what is happening. And yes, there is still somewhat of a perception of what you want people to see because you have the right to have your privacy and to not have all of <laughs> your business out there. But I I do appreciate you guys showing the different perspectives. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you had had shared a few years back, I remember, um, I don't remember exactly how long it ago it was, or if it was just the one time, but you, I think it was prior to the pandemic, um, and you were sharing about your cancer treatments. Yeah, so you were healing through cancer. Was that in your 20s, I believe, right? I got diagnosed in 2015 uh, with a neuroendocrine cancer called carcinoid. A lot of people will say like, oh, I've never heard of that, but you actually have. I had the same type of cancer that Aretha Franklin and Steve Jobs died from. Um, They had it in their pancreas. A lot of people would say, oh, they have pancreatic cancer. It actually was not. It's a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas that they had. Uh, Mine started in my appendix and it spread. Uh, So by the time they found it, I was stage three. It was in the lymph nodes and the blood vessels and the fat. And I had to get half my colon removed. Uh, I had to do oral chemo, a lot of scans, a lot of blood work. As a matter of fact, I just went for my yearly scans just last week and I have to go get blood work tomorrow. So it's an ongoing thing. I don't have any evidence of disease currently in my body and I hope that it stays that way forever. Uh, But I still have to get yearly tests where they scan me from head to toe and make sure that nothing new is growing. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that chapter is done. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you even had to experience any of that. And, you know, I know there may be people that are listening that, yeah, I feel like sometimes when we go through something, we feel like, you know, we're the only ones going through it or it's, you know, the absolute worst. And then you hear someone that's going through something that we're like, couldn't even imagine ourselves experiencing. And I've had many women that have come on that have healed from cancer, different forms of cancer, different stages of cancer, and have been able to share, you know, the life lessons that they learn from that. So I guess my question to you is since that diagnosis and healing from it, how has that changed you as a person, especially with your perspective of life? When I was diagnosed, it's interesting what you start thinking about before you even, you know, when they give you, it was literally like a phone call, like something you would see on TV. Hi, you know, the doctor, it was, it was wrong the way he called me. He should have told me to come into the office, but you know, he called me on the phone and told me, oh, you know, you didn't have an appendicitis. It's actually cancer and uh, no big deal. We just have to cut out the right side of your colon. And um, yeah, I'll tell you more about it in the office. I was like, <laughs> wow, like, home by myself. Like what, you know, so immediately I, I, that moment in time that I sat down at the dining room table by myself before anybody else knew anybody in my family, the things that ran through my mind were, I want to see my nieces grow up. Mm. I don't have any children. And at the time I wasn't married, but that was, it was very poignant to me. And I said, I want to see my nieces grow up. And I want to know that I did something with this gift of mine. And at the time, I had already released two projects. Uh, This diagnosis had actually stopped me. I had went to Russia a couple of months before and did four nights in Moscow. Like I really had a snowball effect going and I was scheduled to go back and Mm -hmm. getting my stomach cut open, obviously, stopped the party. And I thought to myself, am I ever going to be able to sing again? Those were the two things that I focused on the most post all of this. I took some time just to to heal because my parents told me if you are not full you can't can't give anything to anybody and mm-hmm. it's okay to take a moment to pause to make sure that you're okay. Yeah. Uh, so after that 
I had to kind of like look to my left and look to my right and say like, what are my priorities here? And I think oftentimes we are very, if you ask us to write a list of what our priorities are, most people, if you if you got a goal in life, you can write down what your priorities are and things that are at the top of your list, maybe your top five things. But if you take that list and then on the other side, you write down the top five things that you do every day, you're going to probably have a wake-up call right. because the top five things that you do every day, those things are your priorities. So my goal these days is to make sure that those things actually match because the priorities that we have in our mind and the things that we really love, things we, we say we're passionate about, if the top five things I do are like cook dinner, make sure the laundry is done, I hit the gym, so that's important to my health. Oh, I had to make sure I go to work, you know, rain, sleet, or snow and make sure I go to work. Like, why, where is the music? Did I write something today? Did I sing something right. today? Did I do something for my craft? And if I'm saying at the top of my priorities that music is the top of my priorities, maybe it really isn't and something has to change. Right. So that's that's really what I've taken from it, that I want those, I want those two things to align. Yeah. And that's so important. And I think sometimes maybe uh, an oversight on, on people. Now I'm trying to remember who it was, but I, I had a, a previous guest who shared a similar lesson as yours where she was like, you know, I can't say that my relationship with my husband is a priority if, you know, I'm working, you know, 12 hours a day, then I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm running in the door, I'm not making time for date night, I'm not making time for my partner. Like my at my daily actions have to show that what I say is important to me is actually important. So I think that that's a great, great lesson. Um, I actually took that that lesson. I started sharing it with some of my publishing clients because it's like you say that publishing this book and leaving your legacy is important to you. You want to be you know known as an author, a writer, and then you're telling me you don't have time to write an hour a day. 30 minutes a day, something <laughs> like yeah. it's your daily routine, your daily activities that, that equate to, you know, the results that we actually get. So definitely figuring out what's a priority to you and how are you implementing that in your daily day to day? Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about, I'm like, do I want to go into my therapy type questions? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for it. <laughs> You said your father is still in the music industry. And with our parents and caregivers being our loudest fans or critics, they're usually who we get our, our praise or our criticism from. Having a father who's just as passionate about music as you are, how has that affected your, I guess, your experience um, even pursuing music? Like, is it more praise or does it come with more constructive criticism? Like how, do, how has that affected you? My father is my biggest fan and I'm my dad's biggest <laughs> fan. We are two peas in a pod. You know, my dad has four children. You know, all parents say they don't have a favorite. It's obvious <laughs> to all my siblings. We all know. It's Everyone knows. If no one can convince my father to do something, it's always, Felicia, you ask him. Felicia, mm -hmm. you get him to do it. You know, I, out of the four children, I am the musician. 
he's a lefty, I'm a lefty. Like when I was in high school, I would make sure that my homework was done early enough because my dad was always going to the studio in Brooklyn and I would ride with him and he would be like, okay, like you can't fall asleep because you got to keep daddy awake so we can get back home. Like I would be up in the studio (laughs) with like grown men, like just hanging out because I was daddy's baby. Yeah. Um, And I learned so, so much. My dad has given me so much information. I felt like I had the inside scoop. And then I started traveling with him, singing backgrounds for my dad when he was doing, uh, you know, soulful house music. And it's been an incredible experience. And I smiled to myself even the other day, you know, he did the BET awards. And then literally the next day he was in New York City and I I had a show in Manhattan and he was right there at the top. And I mean, there had to be maybe all of 30 people in the room. It was a very intimate venue. Like it was a singer songwriter showcase. And he's up there. That's right, baby. Sing, baby. You know, he's so, so proud. You can't tell my dad that there's not 50,000 people in that room. Like my dad has been with me. I remember I did a gig. This is some years back. And we thought that it was, we thought that there was going to be a lot of people. I think maybe there were about five people. And I sang like, I, I, I don't care who's there. I'm going to sing. My dad is there in the audience supporting me. I don't care if there's nobody or the same way. If you if you ever find the clip of me doing the voice when I did the audition and the chairs turn, they keep going back to my dad backstage and he literally is jumping up and down. That is my dad. I don't care if there's if he's the only person in the audience or there's 10,000 people. He I is my biggest, biggest fan. And I think often of the moment when I win my Grammy, I always think to myself that I will look over to my right and see the excitement on his face because it's all he's ever wanted for me. Yeah. Oh, I I am goosebumps. I love that. I I love hearing that. Um, (laughs) I I love hearing any daddy's girl stories. I'm a daddy's girl too. (laughs) Yes. But I I love the excitement. And even as you're sharing his excitement for you, like I see the emotion on your face. Like it, yes. it, it's so beautiful. He's one of my favorite people on the whole planet. Like it gets no better than my dad. It really doesn't. I love that. I, I love that so much. And, you know, I've had women on the show, women that I know that don't have the greatest relationships with their dad and how it ends up affecting you know, them as, as women throughout their adult life. So just hearing the excitement as you share that, just seeing the emotion in your face, it's, it's just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So I guess with having such support around you, I'm sure as you know, we all do, we all have our, our struggles and, and things that may not be as positive as we would love them to be. So what beliefs and thoughts have helped you to push through your tough times? I'm very, I feel like I'm very in touch with myself and and like spiritually in tune. And I always remind myself that I am exactly where I am and that by nature, no situation is inherently good or bad. Like you were saying, it's all about your perception. And I think that goes over a lot of people's head. Mm -hmm. We choose the lens through which we view a situation. And we often, the voice that is in our head, we take it as automatic truth. 
whatever that rambling voice is, we think that it's us. It is not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I often have to take a step back and say, I am aware. I'm just aware of what's going on. I'm walking around in this meat suit per se, and we're never born and we never die. And there is nothing to be afraid of. And at every moment, there's a fork in the road. And whatever you choose, it's okay. It's it, there's no there's no messing up. You yeah. made a choice, and then guess what? Another choice is going to happen from there. Another fork is going to constantly open, and it doesn't matter how many times you think you make a bad decision, a bad choice. There's always going to be a choice after that, and no matter what, it will always lead you to where you belong. And when you look back, you'll say to yourself oh my goodness, if that one thing didn't happen, I would have never done ABC. Yes. The things that we, you know, the things that we regret or, you know, the things that we wish we could wish away, or if I could do it again, I wouldn't have done it like that. Every single thing in this moment is the way it is because of every choice that you made before that. So I'm very, I, I walk in that often. And if I ever get myself frazzled or, I'm upset or I'm worried. I give into it for a minute and I say, okay, I'm going to feel all the things. I'm just going to welcome it. I'm not going to resist it. And then I take a deep breath and I say, okay, it is what it is. And all is well is my constant phrase. And I think people just think it's just something that I say, but I say, oh, all is well. It is. Yeah. No matter yeah. what it is, it's all well and it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And I know that I certainly do not have a 100% track record, but the God I serve, let me tell you something, okay? (laughs) All things work together for good. (laughs) 100% track record every time, don't never mess up ever, 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 ever. So I just have to, I just have to trust in that. Yeah. I, I really, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to control things and make things be a certain way. And like I said, I'm very methodical in all the things that I do. I'm going to go to nursing school and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to have this career and I'm going to have this. And I realize sometimes when you're so busy trying to hold something in your hands, it's just like slipping through your fingers. I'm like, I just got to let it go. I got to let yes. it go. Whatever it's supposed to be. Maybe I won't get my Grammy until I'm 45. And I am here doing all this worrying and hemming and hawing and got palpitations in my chest because I'm thinking I've missed my time and gravity's going to kick in and stuff's going to be falling to the floor. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Like, you know, or maybe, maybe. If it is not meant for me at all, maybe in 20 or 30 years, somebody will stand up on that podium and be winning theirs and say, I watched you and thank you. It all comes full circle. So I just have to take, I take every moment for what it is. And I don't say anything is inherently bad or good. It just is. Yes. Listen, that is great, great advice. Because I think, I don't want to say we as in everybody, but often people are quick to react out of emotion when something happens. And if we are to pause in that moment, and sometimes that pause could be days, but sometimes just like you have explained, I have many situations where you pause And it's like, okay, good does end up coming from that thing. 
So it's like sometimes it may have been a, a pivot we needed to make in life or an adjustment we needed to make in our character. It shapes us in some way. There's there's good in all things and there's bad in all things. You know, sometimes something will happen and I immediately want to freak out. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. Like I'm done. And you wait and you let things be and you accept as it is. And something good ends up happening differently from what I expected. I think there's something really important you said about the pause. We often think we do not have a choice in the reaction that we make. I don't know, this happened and I just, I don't know, I just exploded. I just, but if you take a second and realize that we have a choice in the reaction, just because you said something to me that would normally enrage me, like, how could you say that to me? I have no choice but to just be angry. We have a choice. And if you just pause for a second and say, that doesn't have to be my reaction. I don't have to look at it like this. It'll change your whole world. Absolutely. Because you make one bad choice in the morning. It's it's the, the classic example everybody gives. You woke up out of the bed and you stubbed your toe. And you say, oh my God, now I'm late for work. Then you get in the car and guess what? There's traffic. Then you get into work. And before you even walked in the door, you spilled the coffee on your shirt. You are having a bad day and you've only been up for an hour because you decided after you stubbed your toe that Mm -hmm. you were having a terrible day. And you know what? The universe is going to give you all of that. Like, oh, we said we're having a bad day. Let me show you how bad of a day (laughs) we can have. And it will continue. People saying stuff to you at work, you miss deadlines, whatever it is, you will have the worst day in the world until you take a deep breath and decide it ain't so bad. Mm-hmm. Did you notice when you decide that you're having a good day or something amazing happens to you? It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what anybody said to you. You'd be like, you know what? I'm having such a fantastic day. <laughs> I don't even care what you just did. I don't care. Somebody could cut you off in traffic. You're like, go ahead. Like, <laughs> nothing bothers you the same way because you feel so good and you are making that choice. A lot of people don't have that association and they go through life on this negative mm-hmm. autopilot. Like, oh, what else could go wrong? What about what else could go right? Yes, right. You have exactly. to go through life expecting great things. I always say, yeah. great things are great things are going to happen to me. Absolutely. My um, my mentor gave me a, a coin. Well, he gave all of his his students this coin, and on one side it says react, on the other side it says respond. And when something happens, because naturally. Through our emotions, we're quick to react, right? So it's to pause and flip the coin. And without emotion, after you've paused, after you've had the time to take a breath and process, then you can respond. And I have to do that with emails. I have to do that with my kids. (laughs) I have to do that with everything (laughs) because I'm an emotional person. So I could pop off on any second, but instead (laughs) I choose. (laughs) See? I choose (laughs) to respond. And also choosing not to internalize what people say to you or the things that people do to you because it doesn't have anything Anything to do with you. you. And when you stop taking everything so personal, somebody came up to you and just nasty to you out of the blue. If you internalize that, like they'll give you that bad energy. They'll hand it right over to you because it's just coming out of their pores. You just have to say, oh, okay, you're hurting. Yeah, something something's going on with you. And I'm not going to take this personal at all. You can keep that energy right over there. You know, I'm gonna pray for you. (laughs) You you gotta stop internalizing that so much. Yes, absolutely. Uh, There was a sign in uh, when I used to do real estate, there was a sign I took, I went into someone's house and they had a huge 
um, sign with a, a painting that said, um, it's not a, it's not about me. And I had to use that to process anytime someone else like did something or said something. Even if I talk about like my, my toxic ex that I broke up with, it, it's like, it's not about me. He, he went through something and his behavior is a reflection of what's going on inside of him. So me not internalizing that because I could be anybody. It's not about me specifically. So it happened to me. Yes. It hurts. Yes. But the experience, I couldn't process and internalize all of his behavior to me. I had to understand when people do things, it's a reflection of what's going on inside of them. It's their trauma responses. It's, you know, their childhood wounds and their reactions coming up. And when we learn to disassociate and, and not internalize, not only does it help us process our day to day, but then we're not now causing ourselves harm and emotional wounds because we're not sitting ruminating and allowing that to dim our light and how we interact with other people in the world. It also allows you to give people some grace. Absolutely. But you know that people can only meet you as deep as they've met themselves, right? You hear that quote yeah. often. And you see people and you're like, yeah, you haven't like scratched the surface of yourself. So you can't, I, you can extend them grace and they may not even see it, but it gives yeah. you some peace to be like, okay, I see yeah. where you're coming from and I can appreciate <laughs> it. I don't want any of that energy, but I, I, I understand why you're behaving the way you're behaving. You know? Yes, absolutely. And what you said earlier, what you said about, you know, yeah. someone who stubs their toe and then they're late for work because they're stuck in traffic. Again, back to what we were talking about, about perception, because Yes, you could stub your toe in the morning and that may d delay you. But if you view that traffic as it's preventing, like there could have been something else that was happening that, you know, God's protecting you. So he's keeping you stuck in traffic right now. There could have been a really bad accident on the route that you take to work or, you know, something could have happened at work that's not supposed to involve you. Like I try to look at things that way, even mm -hmm. if, you know, someone cuts me off. Okay, they're in a hurry. Like. <laughs> You know, they're, they're trying to be somewhere, <laughs> but it's all about perception. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And oh, we're on the same page. I like that girl. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. So before we go to the, the final segment with the rapid fire, I would love if you could tell the listeners where they could stay connected with you, where they can learn more about you, where they can listen to your music, all of that. Okay. So, uh, I have my own website. It's www.feliciatemple.com. Um, or you can stay connected with me on social media. Every every platform I have is at Felicia Temple, except for Facebook, because why is there a Felicia Temple? We are not sure. But I have to be Felicia Temple Music <laughs> on Facebook. Um, but you can find me there. I am constantly on Instagram. You, I am accessible. You can talk to me. And I always have a link in my bio, my socials, where you can listen to all my music anywhere you stream or download music or content. You can find me. Just type in my name, Felicia Temple, and you can get some good music. Love it. Love it. I will have all of your direct links in the detailed section of the episode so they don't have to search too far. They can just click and connect with you directly. Perfect. <laughs> so I laughed when you said about the the Facebook because when I joined Instagram in the very beginning, there was already a McKinney Smith and she doesn't use her account. So that's why I'm the real McKinney Smith. <laughs> it's like, I was like, what? It's just like some random young blonde girl just not doing absolutely nothing. I'm like, really? 
<laughs> like, Come can on. I have my name, please? <laughs> like, I'm like, all right, Felicia Temple music it is. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. So the final segment to rapid fire, you can answer one word or one sentence. But if you feel the need to unpack, there's no rules here. I'm claustrophobic. I don't like to be in a box. So I allow people to do what they want to do as well. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Let's start with what impact do you want to have on the world? Oh, that's intense. How do you have that as a rapid fire (laughs) question? What the heck? Oh. I, I simply want somebody to feel like I made them feel better. Whatever the case, they met me as a singer, something I sang about, something I wrote about, impacted them in some way. Or if they simply said, I remember how great you cared for me after surgery and you made me feel better. I, I want that statement to be said about me when I'm long gone. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. What advice would you give your future self? Remember what you said. That's it. Just okay. remember what you said, you know, walk it like you talk it. That's mm. it. <laughs> Come on, amigos. Walk it like I talk it. That's it. Remember what you said. Yep. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. The Greatest Secret by Rhonda Byrne. Okay. When you feel overwhelmed, unfocused, or uninspired, what do you do? I turn on music. I turn on music that uh, will impact the way that I feel. Mm, yep. Love it. Okay. Uh, when was the last time you cried? Maybe maybe a couple of weeks ago. Okay. I always, uh, I'm an emotional person. I was almost tearing up <laughs> talking about my dad. When I said, yeah, like, I I just wanted to see, like when I said, like, I just wanted to see my nieces grow up, anything that involves them makes me cry. I go to their dance recital. I cry. Like they're like my children. They can yeah. make me cry on the uh, an instant. <laughs> Seeing baby photos of them. Yeah. Cry. Cry. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> okay. What's the first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night? First thing I do in the morning, and I'm very ashamed of this and I'm trying to break out of this habit, is I immediately turn over, grab my phone, and check the notifications that I've missed. It's terrible. I want to get out of that habit so bad, but the technology addiction is real. Uh <laughs> And the last thing that I do before I go to bed, well, I will say this, the last thing I do before I go to bed, I put my phone on the charger um, and I usually try to take like a few deep cleansing breaths and just envision where I would like to be, wherever that is. And that is usually what puts me to sleep. Okay. Okay. Uh, Last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? I would say I wish that they would be at least in my experience, more genuinely welcoming. I think we live in a society now of the nice mean girls, right? Mm -hmm. They all talk about like, we should come together and we're a sisterhood and we're whatever. But there are still so many groups and cliques and places where, you know, if you're not whoever, you don't feel so welcome or even to your regular small community spaces Women can be very like, you're in the group, you're in the group, you're not in the group, you are not in the group. Or they'll be nice, but it's just surface and they really just, you know, they're not mm-hmm. that nice. So I wish that women would just be genuinely a little bit more welcoming. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. 
Thank you so much, Felicia, for sharing your story with us, sharing your, I'm going to call them gems, and I, I hope that the listeners were taking notes. I truly appreciate your time, your energy, and I'm I'm grateful to get to know you on a deeper level. Like I said at the beginning, I was I knew that there would be, you know, stuff that I would I would learn about you and I feel like more connected to you now learning all of those things that I've learned today that you shared. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This was very like introspective. I feel very in touch with myself here with all these <laughs> questions. <laughs> I think that's the introvert in me. <laughs> I like to ask questions that, you know, deep thought. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And to all of you healers out there until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple podcast. We want to hear what resonated with you. What part of Felicia's story touched you? Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag Felicia at Felicia Temple. You can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. And I just want to thank each and every one of you that continues to listen each week to help the show rank globally in the top 1.5% of most popular shows. And that's out of over 3 million podcasts. So a healthy community is a healing community and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. So let's continue to heal her.